like a scale where on the, the one side you have this boulder that is depression or anxiety, uh, but then on the other side, you need to start kind of building up pebbles of good, good experiences. So anything you do that's positive goes on that side of the scale. And when you have enough pebbles, it kind of outweighs the boulder. So the more things you build up on good experiences, the less down the boulder is going to go. Or when it does go down a little, it doesn't go down as far. Hey friends, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today I'm here with Steve Slayton. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I've become a big fan of the, your show. You work as a board member within NAMI. What inspired you to join the board? I do, yes. So I'm the, the State of Michigan board president and the general chair of State President's Council. And it has just been the, the best experience because NAMI is so pure and, and genuine to their mission. And they have so many great people that I've gotten to meet, um, especially our, our executive director here, here in Michigan. Uh, his name's Kevin Fisher, and he's just been you know, a role model and a, kind of a beacon of hope for me. But it's just one of those networks of people who you just feel safe around and they just get it. Um, so the beginning of my career, I, I, at that point, I had worked in community mental health for about 15 years. So it really fit in with my professional goals and my professional um, trajectory. So I entered it for, for that reason, and I loved it. And then shortly after I started was when I got diagnosed with generalized anxiety, and then that kind of led into major depression. So it quickly became the perfect crossroads of personal and professional life. So having that perspective on both sides really allowed me to learn a lot about how one thing affected the other and how programs where they really designed to understand what someone's going through. Um, so I couldn't be more grateful to be a part of it. Uh, and and the, the timing couldn't have been better because I got the resources that the NAMI shares. And uh, my favorite part about it is the, the community is just all people who get it. You know, it's just people who are really invested in care and know um, what it's like or have supported someone or themselves have dealt with a mental illness. So it's just, you feel safe um, and there's a lot to learn. They do a lot of education and advocacy. Um, so just the mission was really fitted with everything that was going on in my life right then. That is absolutely amazing. And I love how you point out that NAMI is one of those organizations that is genuine to what they, what their mission and what their values are because it's really hard, especially within the mental health field to find organizations that are genuinely driven based off a mission and not based off politics. So to find that organization and find that home, especially at a time that was so critical for you, when you're getting that diagnosis of anxiety and depression, you don't really know a lot about it because no one's talked about it before, right? It's this unknown world of First of all, anxiety is a real thing because we've made it a joke for so long that a lot of people don't realize anxiety is a real disorder and can be so debilitating. Mm -hmm. And to be diagnosed with that and know I'm not crazy, I'm actually experiencing something and it's real and other people are going through it too, I'm not alone. And to have that community with you during that time of people who understand is so, so powerful. Because- yeah, and like you said, if you haven't been there, you can't always understand. 
a big part of empathy and compassion for mental health is understanding, is seeing it, is being there, being present. Absolutely. And especially with, with anxiety, the generalized anxiety of not having one specific cause was, was kind of hard to wrap my head around because it didn't make sense to me. It's like, I'm, I'm really anxious, but nothing specific, you know? So it's, I couldn't pinpoint why I was feeling like that. Exactly. It's really hard when there's no trigger, there's no specific understanding of where it came from. So when you first got those diagnoses, what did you do to really learn more and to cope? Well, luckily, I, working in the field for a long time, I had a pretty good understanding of um, the industry. So, you know, shortly after that, I took the, the step to begin therapy and learn a lot through that. I was able to tap into some of my resources through work. Um, and then when I got my first therapist, it was not a good fit. And I did not like the dynamic. I did not like um, the feedback I was getting or, or their, their approach. And I felt luckily because I had some of that experience, I was able to say, this isn't what therapy should look like. I can try another therapist. But it kind of gave me that perspective, too, of for some people in different industries who don't have the, the background that they take the, that they finally get themselves to take that step into therapy. They have a really bad experience and they think, oh, this is what therapy is like. I'm not going back. Um, so I guess I was very grateful to have learned that piece of it. Um, because if I had, if I had backed away and quit that, who knows how bad that could have been for me. That's a very, very good point. A lot of people struggle with that, trying to find a therapist that works for them. And the first time they go to a therapist, if they don't have that amazing experience of all of a sudden feeling like you found someone who understands you and who can be there and support you, and you don't feel immediately better the way we've kind of built therapy up to be the stigma where therapy is like you go when you're absolutely crazy and then they're going to heal you and that's it. And that's not what therapy is. And a lot of times people go to therapy once it's not the right fit. They're not healed immediately after and they give up and they're like, therapy isn't for me. And that's so devastating. Absolutely. And then part of it too, was even after years, uh, I would, I was still kind of had it in my mind that, okay, I go to therapy I see my psychiatrist, why don't I feel better? And it took me a while to kind of own up that they're just tools. The, the work really has to be on my end to you know, take what they're giving me, put it into to action and do what I'm supposed to do to take care of myself. And that, that took me a long time to realize. And once that kind of clicked, it did make a really big difference. Exactly. A lot of the work is done outside of therapy. Therapy is a great tool, like you said, Medication can be a great tool. Coping mechanisms are all great tools, but a lot of the work happens within you on your own. When you start to process, when you start to allow yourself to feel, that's when you can allow yourself to, con- to actually heal and to continue to move forward. I always say so, finding a therapist is like a relationship. You're not always going to find your soulmate. You're not always going to find the right therapist the first time around. And I think a absolutely. lot of people should go into therapy, looking at it through those lenses. Absolutely. And so, so yeah, I've become such an advocate for therapy because it's one of those things that 100% of people could benefit from, just having that non-judgmental, impartial person to listen to 
and know that you're safe to share things. And it's not, even if you have like a great friend who's down to listen, some of those things you might be scared will stick with them and maybe change that dynamic. So it's just a priceless surface to have. It's really a wonderful way to keep peace with yourself, I guess. Exactly. I Like you said, I'm such a huge advocate for therapy as well, because you don't have to go to therapy because something dramatic happened in your life. That can be a great tool during those times when you're facing trauma, or if you're struggling with a mental health condition, therapy can be great, but therapy can also be great because you want to learn more about yourself, because you want to explore who you are because you want a better understanding of coping mechanisms that may be able to help you in the future, emotional wellness. So one of the other things I think is very important about awareness, I think mental health awareness kind of is um, a a high level piece of understanding what it is, isn't that it's normal to accept help. But I think part of the awareness is education too, of, of taking the time to understand what some of these diagnoses mean. So when you get into therapy or you get into treatment that you can understand why you're diagnosed with that. And if you don't, if you don't feel that that's accurate, you can advocate for yourself and say, you know, this doesn't fit here. Explain to me why, you know, why you're thinking it's this when I feel this, or um, just going down that road, that road and being, you know, more educated and aware of what these things mean and not just taking people's words for this is what you have. This is, don't question it. I'm a doctor or I'm a therapist. Um, so just having that, that knowledge to really understand where things are coming from. And like I said, being able to, to advocate and and push for yourself. If, if you don't think, think things are going the way you want them to. That is such a good point, because if you don't understand, you can't advocate for yourself because you don't know what questions to ask. You don't know how to speak up because you don't have that piece of education to understand why you're feeling this way, what you're going through, and what tools and resources can help you. And doctors are also human. They're going to make mistakes sometimes. A lot of people get misdiagnosed in the beginning. I read somewhere that it takes an average of 10 years to get a proper diagnosis. Wow. So it's really important that we're tenacious in our advocacy. We should be advocating for ourselves all the time, but without that education piece, it can be really difficult too. Yeah, yeah. If you just openly trust everything you hear, like you said, everyone in the system are humans. So you can't just completely say they're going to get it right 100% of the time. Exactly. And I think part of the, the awareness and education piece is really understanding what a lot of the, the symptoms are. And I think so often people think this is just a part of life when it's something that does not have to be something you live with all the time. It, it doesn't have to be depression where you can't get out of bed. It could be, you know, something much more mild that you don't just have to accept as part of life. Uh, and just realizing what some of these things are, I think it's hard because people have their, at no fault of their own. I mean, you can only know what you see or read. So they have these preconceived notions of what depression or what anxiety looks like. And if what they're feeling doesn't fit that, that mold, then they're not going to seek any help. Exactly. With mental health and mental illness and mental health conditions, we've really seen that society's put us in a box. And there's these same symptom checklists that they give us. And they're like, this is what it looks like. And that's it. But mental health is not that way. You can be struggling and not even see the signs until it's too late. And that's why we say therapy is preventative. It shouldn't be reactive. 
if we go to therapy when we don't need therapy or we don't need therapy and we get the tools and resources that we need before we need them, when we get to that point of struggling, when a trauma happens, because we're all going to face some kind of trauma, whether it's through grief, whether it's through relationships, whether it's through what's happening in the world, the pandemic, that's a trauma that we've all just lived through. All these different hate crimes, that's all trauma that we're living through. And therapy can be such a great tool to get us those resources and coping mechanisms we need to get through this time, because otherwise it is just so devastating. I wouldn't blame anyone for feeling so hopeless at this time. Yeah, and just chalking it up to it's a pandemic, I'm supposed to feel this way or everyone feels this way, yeah. without, you know, kind of connecting that you don't have to necessarily. Exactly. We're kind of living in this world where everyone else is struggling. So my struggling really isn't that bad or people are struggling worse. So in comparison, yeah. I'm okay. That is such a great point. Yeah. That, and that was, that's one of the things that kind of kept me from um, accepting that I needed therapy was it was kind of like on paper, my life is so good. I felt guilty about feeling bad. So, you know, it wasn't something where I was like, okay, I really need this because compared to what people are struggle with, that I wasn't at that level. I was just, you know, I couldn't point to one thing on, um, you know, within my life where I was like, I'm unfortunate for this piece. It was just this, um, this empty pain feeling that, that came to me. And, you know, it was just very hard to accept because it didn't make sense. Exactly. And I think a lot of people live in this world of toxic gratitude, where because we have so much to be grateful for, we invalidate ourselves constantly. We tell ourselves that because we have shelter, because we have all our basic necessities, and then some luxuries or some privileges, we don't deserve to feel upset, that we don't deserve help point. or support or treatment. And one thing that Selena Gomez said one time was, I had absolutely everything and yet I was still broken inside. And I think a lot of people can relate to that is your life can seem so perfect on the outside, like you said, but that doesn't fix everything on the inside. That doesn't mean everything on the inside is okay and perfect. Yeah, I, um, that's really a great point. And it's, I think it's very validating for people. Um, I'm a huge Juice World fan, the, the late artist and, and hip hop star. And a lot of his music kind of conveyed that too of, you know, he has a house and, you know, uh, fans and all of this, but he still struggled and felt empty sometimes. And to think that someone could be in that position where they have everything most people think they want, uh, fame and money, um, talent, fans, and to still have that really helped me feel like, okay, you know, if someone has all of that and still feels empty, which is valid, then it's okay for me to, to feel that too. Exactly. I think that as human beings, we are all vulnerable to struggle, to feel hopeless, to feel empty, to feel alone. But that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to. I think a lot of times we kind of don't want to give ourselves permission to feel. So it all bottles up within us. And then at one point, it all hits us at once. And I know when that happened to me personally, I ended up in a psych ward. And when you get to that point, what do you do? Because you're so hopeless. You're so down. Everything that you suppressed for so long is suddenly just overpowering you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I um, you know, at one point I, I spent time in the, the psych hospital psych ward as well. And it was, you know, it was a really, I had a really positive experience, but at the same time, it kind of gave me the perspective that if it's not a positive experience, it could be a whole new traumatic piece on its own that takes a while to recover from just because it's meant to be kind of a short-term, you know, safety net. And, you know, you're not going to change that drastically in, in that short of a time. And then, you know, when it was over and I went back out into the quote-unquote real world, you know, a lot of the, the factors that, you know, were bringing me to that point were exactly the same. So, you know, it was, like I said, I would encourage anyone to, to do it if you need it, you know, go to the hospital. There's so many good ones, um, but maybe do your, do some research before and just in case you think this is something I may need in the future, you know, look it up so you, you make the right choice. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's not a be all end all of you're going to feel so much better when you leave. Exactly. I think a lot of people have this misconception, whether it's through counseling, therapy, medication, going into a psych ward, an inpatient residential treatment program, an outpatient treatment program, that you're suddenly going to feel better. But if everything in your world, when you get out, is the exact same as it was before, you have spent so much time away from it, and now you're just thrown back into it. Are you ready? Do you have the coping tools and coping mechanisms that you need? And I think a lot of times within these programs, as amazing and helpful and I have so much respect for all of them, because it really is that safety net, like you said, and it keeps you safe at a time where you don't feel safe. But when you come out, what tools and resources did they provide you with? And if they didn't, who do you ask? Because that's something that we're not talking about. And it's so important that within psych wards, they start to provide that information, a list of coping mechanisms and how they work. When you're in group therapy, not just let's talk about our story and a lot of people don't feel comfortable sharing. So there's a lot of silence, but from your story, how did you get to this point of feeling hopeless and what can you do to bring yourself out of it? Can you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, that that was kind of the the whole experience wasn't a lot of, you know, how do I personally recover or cope? It was, so I I went in on a weekend. So there was like the weekend psychiatrist and I met with them and went over everything. And then on Monday, I had to meet with the weekday psychiatrist and it was kind of the same thing. And then it was really just group therapy and I'm not a big group person, you know, when, when I feel bad, I kind of just isolate and want to do things. So I didn't get a lot out of the groups. So, you know, I really wasn't getting a lot out of it. Um, but at the same time, it was a really, really good experience. And, you know, like I said about the discharge, it was, it was, it was a shock. It was like a system shock where, you know, you, you're in this almost bubble and then you you leave and it's like the rest of the world has been going on as normal for however many days and you're just thrown back in it. And it's like, now what, you know, it's just, it's kind of scary. Exactly. So what were some tools and resources you used when you got out, when you were discharged that helped you get back into the world? Um, I think one of them was that I was just kind of refreshed a little bit. So, you know, the first day I got there, I slept like 21 hours um, the first day 
So that, that kind of helped me recharge and focus. Um, I think at least for the time being, being um, somewhat extracted from some of the circumstances that were overwhelming helped as well. So again, it just kind of helped reset and helped me feel refreshed after. Um, and I, I did have, it was some perspective change. Like I felt lucky to have had a good experience where it was clean and people were nice and um, the food was good and all of that. So, uh, but at the same time, I was kind of like, maybe I should have made more of it or maybe I should have tried harder with the groups to, to really get the, the full experience. So it, it was just running through the whole thing in my, in my head. But I think the, some of the, the tools were knowing that that is there if I need it again, which kind of took some of the, the stress away. Um, and also just some, so I guess some of the group work, even though I didn't really participate, was interesting just hearing other people's stories and the, the fact that you're seeing people who are struggling like you or um, in some cases more than me. And just that, you know, I'm not alone, I'm not unique in, in how I'm feeling. Um, that was a big piece too, because I think, you know, a lot of times when I was feeling just like kind of the emptiness and the nothingness, I would think like, okay, this is how everyone else's depression is different from mine, you know? And it's one of those things too, that people probably can't understand unless you're in it, that I feel like feeling nothing is so much worse than feeling pain or um, anything like that. Cause I think pain can feel temporary uh, but nothing feels permanent. Like it's always going to be there. That's an amazing point that you bring up because it is so much better to feel when you feel you can kind of understand it and process it. And when you feel bad, you can also feel good. They come right. together. So you can still have some good times and some bad times together. But when you can't feel anything, you're just stuck in this world that's passing you by and you are just there. You're not really experiencing anything. You're just stuck yeah. and it feels like it's never going to end. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that, that's probably the, the piece that makes it the hardest to you know, have hope is that it just, you know, like with 100% of your soul that it's never going to go away, but that's forever. And, you know, as much as support as you can get of people saying it's not, you know, this is normal, you can get out of it. You, you just know for sure that you're not. Um, and nothing could, you know, make me access the fact that it's not because I didn't believe I just knew, like, okay, I felt bad yesterday. I felt bad last week. I felt bad last month. Why would I start feeling better? Um, so it was just like the, the learned um, behavior, I guess, of nothing has changed. Why would anything change? Exactly. And then there's this level of fear of when I do feel again, what am I going to feel? How terrible is it going to be? Will I be able to handle it? What do I do when I start feeling again? And it's this feeling of complete and absolute pain and sorrow and grief. And like the weight of the world is on my shoulders and I can't stand up. Absolutely. That's a really good way to put it. And then when you do have good periods, at the, at the same time, you're almost reluctant to enjoy them because you're like, how long is this going to last? Exactly. You know, it, it's just kind of in the back of your mind, like, 
it's hard to really enjoy because you're just like, is this going to go away tomorrow? Is it going to go away today? You know, you can't really, it was hard to trust feeling, feeling good. Exactly. And then when you feel good and then you go down again, it's almost like you took 10,000 steps backward and you're like, what did I do wrong? Yes. Why am I going from this up to this down? What did I do and how do I get back out of it? It kind of feels like you failed in a way, like you're failing yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that was one of the tools that I learned from, from my current therapist that's been most helpful is that nothing you do is going to make you feel better in a day, but um, kind of taught me, you know, it's like a scale where on the, the one side you have this boulder that is depression or anxiety uh, but then on the other side, you need to start kind of building up pebbles of good, good experiences. So anything you do that's positive goes on that side of the scale. And when you have enough pebbles, it kind of outweighs the boulder. So the more things you build up on good experiences, the less down the boulder is going to go. But when it does go down a little, it doesn't go down as far or as long. And, and that's just helped me so much to focus on okay, this isn't going to solve all of my problems, but it's one good thing, which is going to help in the long run or in the big picture. Exactly. It's the small steps that are the most important because you're slowly getting there. It's not going to happen in these giant leaps. You're not suddenly going to go from feeling super depressed to perfectly fine. You're going to go step by step. And I love how you said it's a scale because that's something that I'm always trying to convey to people is that Mental health is a scale from wellness to illness, just like your physical health. And sometimes you are completely on the wellness side and sometimes you're completely on the illness side, but most of the time you're somewhere in the middle. And that's what these tools are for. That's what therapies for, coping mechanisms, supplements. There's so many things, exercise. There's so many things that can help you during that time to move along the scale. But it's your choice what you do because all these tools are great, but you have to put in the work to make these tools work. Yes, and just that they build up and they're longer lasting than just, I had a good exercise today or, or whatever, you know, that exercise combined with, okay, I called a friend today. Like those just good experiences are, they, they last a lot longer than that one instance. And it's not like when it's over, the benefits are gone. It's just, you know, building up and building up on more small positive experiences that um, just kind of build up your um, your memories as you go. Like you have like one little good feeling and then all of a sudden you have two and the more you get, you don't even realize that they've made such a big difference until one day you're like, I feel pretty good. Exactly. And like you said, those steps forward, celebrating them, making sure that you're proud of yourself for them. Because if you've laid in bed all day for weeks because you couldn't get up and then you suddenly got up and made your bed. That's a big step if that's something you couldn't do before. If going to the gym and walking on the treadmill for 10 minutes is something you haven't done in so long, that's something to celebrate. If eating a meal that makes you feel happy and feel good, that's something to celebrate. Celebrate every little win because those are the big things. Those are the big steps because in the beginning, it's the hardest step to take. 100%. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way to put it. Because, yeah, the it kind of changes your your perspective, I think, too, because when you feel good, it's like those normal things are just normal. And what makes you, 
you know, feel really happy or, or that you appreciate are bigger things. So kind of having that perspective of little things are going to make a big difference uh, is, is, I think, a hard shift to make. Exactly, 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 exactly. And a lot of times, because no one's having these conversations, we just kind of look over it. And when you're not celebrating it, it's so hard to realize that I am moving forward. So then you continue to feel stuck and you don't know if it's ever going to get better because you're not paying attention to how much you've grown. Every little step is a piece of growth. And it adds up over a month, over six months, over a year. If you look back and reflect on where you were, you can see how much you've grown. But day by day, it's so hard to see it unless you celebrate every little piece of it. Yeah, that's so true. And I heard I heard the saying, I think it was kind of about kids, but it's kind of everything is that the the days are long, but the years are short. Kind of so it it is one of like you said, it's like, okay, today didn't do that much, but when you look a year back, it's like, wow, I've really come a long way. So after everything that you have gone through and your journey, how are you feeling now? Incredible. I feel as good as I've probably ever felt. I think these tools have just taught me so much about who I am and accepting who I am and um, coping with with different things that come at me. Um, One of the things, and maybe I could have brought this up before, that made such a difference to me was um, I was playing golf one day and there was a gorgeous house on the golf course. And my first thought was, wow, if I lived there, it'd be so cool. And then I realized, no, it wouldn't. If I lived there, I would be just as empty and miserable as I am now, just in a bigger house. And that kind of brought the perspective of you know, external things are never going to, I guess, complete me or change anything about how I feel about myself. And it kind of brought that internal um, perspective of, I need to be, I need to accept who I am and have that internal peace. And, you know, external things are fine, but they can't define how I feel about myself. And that made all the difference. Cause then I just kind of went to, and my therapist helped me a lot with this of defining, you know, what my core values are, what's really important to me. And keeping that at the um, base of everything that happens to me, it's like, how does that really impact, you know, these values that are in my like internal peace bubble, um, I kind of call it. So it's just all that has been, um, it's kind of one of those journeys of, you have to go to this point to get to that point um, because I'm so much better equipped and well-balanced than I've ever been now which is just incredible thinking about how I never thought this would happen. So just looking back at it, um, just looking back at it as a tool in itself to say, wow, last year, who would have thought I could feel this good? Um, And it just kind of keeps you focused on the future. So if I keep doing these things, imagine how good I'm going to feel for the rest of my life, kind of. That is absolutely amazing. You can see within your journey how you really have grown and healed so much from where you were. And like you said, all these external things that the world kind of tells us that we want, especially with social media, we see all these things that everyone else has. And if I have this, my life will be better. But no matter what you have, you can't fix what's feeling broken inside of you. And that's such an important distinction to make. So I'm really happy you brought that up. Yeah, because if you're chasing it, whether it's money or job titles or whatever, it'll never be enough. You know, if you have a million dollars, you're going to want 2 million or whatever the case may be. If you have a, you know, 
10,000 square foot house, you're going to want a 20,000 square foot house. It's just those, those factors will never be enough. Steve, you have been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom with us. You're just absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful.